Welcome inside episode 716 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan on the outskirts of enemy territory in Winnipeg, Manitoba, alongside Brandon Pillar up in the Blue Mountains, and it's good, bad, and hockey. On an Ottawa Senators game day, they begin a back-to-back home-and-home against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now Josh Norris returns from injury, but Matthew Joseph is ready to return to face off against his brother, But it'll have to wait as DJ Smith confirms he is a healthy scratch, but wouldn't say why. Very crazy. But we also have Scott Wheeler from The Athletic on our show today. He's going to defend why he has the Ottawa Senators prospect pool ranked 24th in the league. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. It's your team every day. Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Senators your first listen on this Wednesday, January 18th. The show is free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube. Where the best way you can help the show grow is to like every video by clicking the thumbs up, leaving a comment below, and subscribing to the Locked On Senators channel. Be a friend, tell a friend. The show is also on Twitter at Send Central, on Instagram, LockedOn.Senators. Pilsy, there are two big nuggets of news today, and I'm going to let you choose your own adventure. Where would you like to start? You know what? Let's start with the positive. Let's start with Josh Norris returning to the lineup. Oh my God, does that sound good to say, Ross? We like this was a scenario where if he elected to go take surgery, he's not coming back all season long. And even with his decision not to uh, have surgery and rehab, we anticipated at the time that it was going to be later. Like we thought maybe around trade deadline, we're looking at a return here. So for him to be back this early is a blessing for the Ottawa centers. Cause without him, look, we love Shane Pinto, but he's not ready to be a second line center. And I think that was apparent because even with his line mates, Batherson and Debrinket lighting it up, he wasn't really getting in the mix the same way. And, his play wasn't really up to the amount of minutes that he was playing. So now he's going to be on a third line spot, which I think is perfect for him. Norris is coming back. But the interesting thing is, sure, Norris is back, but DJ Smith has confirmed that he will not take any face-offs. He's on a line with Claude Giroux. Giroux will be taking all the draws for that line tonight. Now, I don't hate Claude Giroux taking face-offs at any point because yeah. he's one of the best in the league and has been for over a decade. But does this not give you a pause and a bit of nerves now watching Josh Norris tonight. He was injured taking a face-off. He's returning against Pittsburgh. May I remind you the exact same team that Shane Pinto returned against last year where he was injured again. And then he needed surgery and he was out for the rest of the year. Now, Josh Norris has missed 38 games. We're expecting some rust, but he's also been practicing for a month and you'd think he'd be able to snap back a few face-offs in practice before being given the all-clear from doctors I'm going to be nervous watching him play over the next little while yeah I mean it definitely sounds weird but 
I actually kind of like this move because like you mentioned, he's been practicing. He's been ready to play probably for a week or two now. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I can't confirm that, but that just seems what it's it's been like. He's been traveling with the team. He's been practicing with uh, a regular jersey on. So it seems like he's been ready. But the thing is, when you're taking draws in a game scenario, you're putting so much pressure and so much torque goes into that shoulder that – I don't want to see a slumped shoulder on a face-off like we did with Pinto. So I want to get Norris back in this lineup because he's a crucial part to this team having success. He's a sniper. This team needs scoring. They need scoring from people other than the usual suspects. So I like that he's coming back in here. And you said it, Ross. Claude Giroux is right there. Like It's honestly baffling that the whole time that uh, Norris has been out, they haven't switched or they haven't even thought to move Giroux to full-time center role. He is arguably one of the greatest face-off men this franchise has ever had. Like not even just saying on this team right now, not even just saying on this team without Norris, arguably the Ottawa Senators greatest face-off guy ever. And he's not even being used properly in my opinion on the face-off dot well he has been taking more draws lately but that's the thing it drew allows you to do that so yes this is a bit of a head scratcher being like well is he ready or is he not ready but i think for the first game and maybe even for a little bit i don't mind the idea having drew take the face off because that's where the injuries are most concerning right ross it's not him going out there even taking hits and and uh laying out hits i'm not that worried about it's the movement and the pressure you put on the shoulder during the face-off that I'm worried about. So if you can get 75% healthy Josh Norris and he can help you score on the power play and play a decent role defensively and not take face-offs, I'll take that over no Norris and uh, him taking face-offs all the time when you got closure right there. Eventually, you need Josh Norris taking face-offs, though. He's played yeah, 130 yeah. games with sense, 52% face-off guy, yeah. equivalent of J.G. Pajot. They're right beside each other in sense history and face-off percentage. But Claude Giroux is the guy when it comes to face-offs. So it will be good to see him get an even more opportunity. But with Josh Norris, he scored a goal in his last game right before mm-hmm. he was injured against Arizona. Great to have Josh Norris back in the lineup. I'm sure the fans will love to see him. But the fans also wanted to see Matthew Joseph in the lineup. How easy would it be for DJ Smith to just say he needs a couple extra practices to go out there and we're recording right after his media availability where he said, Matthew Joseph is a healthy scratch for tonight's game. Now there's a lot to get into of why this game in particular is a complete joke. It's Mike Babcockian. <laughs> if I'm putting it word of the day harshly. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely ridiculous, but you don't even have to go outside of hockey to know why this is ridiculous. After giving him a four-year contract, almost at $3 million per year, and he's the only guy who's been healthy scratched in the in the bottom six where you're like, okay, this guy's supposed to be a part of the core. You cannot look at me in the straight face and tell me that Dylan Gambrell, Parker Kelly, Austin Watson, and Derek Broussard are better options to help your team win than Matthew Joseph. No, you can't. You can't. And I mean, look... I like Dylan Gambrell, but he's playing way outside of his role. Uh, Someone on Twitter, I'm forgetting who, I think it was uh, Mac Miller Forever. He was uh, tweeting that Dylan Gambrell in his last 25 games has one point, and that was in the first game of that 25-game stretch. So in 24-game stretch, he has zero points. 
Matthew Joseph is arguably the only guy in this team's bottom six, other than Shane Pinto, obviously, that can add scoring depth to your bottom six. And he's just being healthy scratch. Oh, DJ, why are you healthy scratching him? What's going on with that? No elaboration on why he's being healthy scratch. Like, that is just so crazy to me, especially like if you can bring in Norris and Joseph in one clean sweep back to your lineup, that is such a huge boost to your depth scoring. And it's just not happening. And look, I don't care. There, there obviously is something going on off the ice that DJ has something whether he wants to send a message or he, he's trying to, you know, keep guys accountable for whatever. I don't know. But at this point, you cannot afford to let personal decisions go ahead of hockey decisions and helping this team win. This team can barely win hockey games. They can barely even not lose 7 nothing in hockey games recently without in the best of times. So you need to be giving your team the best chance to win and now, like, if you're looking at this and the third line is Derek Broussard, Shane Pinto, and Matt Joseph, I don't mind that considering the circumstances and how this roster sets up. But a third line of Broussard, Pinto, and Gambrell just isn't going to get it done, especially up against a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. And we don't have to pretend like Matthew Joseph's having a great season. He has two no. goals in 25 games, nine points, but he also has six points in his last 10 games before suffering that injury that's kept him out for 16 games. So it's not like he's just missed a couple here and there. He's been practicing. He was on the last road trip. It ha- like I'm with you. I, we're not going to speculate on what, but it, it seems like it has to be some sort of disciplinary. It has to be. However, if you're going to call him out, at least say it's a discipline. You don't have to go into what he did or what he didn't do, whether he was late for a meeting, whatever it is. I mean, I think the fans would appreciate that sort of openness, but he could have easily protected his player and just said he needs a couple more practices to get into the lineup. That would have been, I still would have disagreed knowing that he's been practicing for so long, but at least he would have kept it internal. Now he's opened the door for all kinds of speculation, which brings us to the cherry on top. We're going to get to the Pittsburgh Penguins lineups, but tonight would have been the first opportunity for the Montreal-based Joseph family to get to see their kids go head-to-head in the National Hockey League. It would have been the first head-to-head matchup ever in the NHL between Pierre-Olivier Joseph, defenseman for the Penguins, and Matthew Joseph. 50 friends and family coming from Montreal in anticipation for tonight's game. I mean, what more is there to say than that? we That's why I bring up Mike Babcock, of course, scratching Jason Spezza in Toronto for their home opener. It's almost like what Rick Bonus did with Riley Tuft. In, uh, but even Riley Tuft was kind of a, he was a call-up. He was like going to be in and out. So I don't even think it's like this. This guy's on a four-year contract. He's a part of the core of the team. To embarrass him like that in front of family and friends and, and his team, I think it's, it's a garbage move. And I lost a lot of respect for the coach, DJ Smith. Yeah, I agree with you. I just it doesn't seem like there is a reasonable explanation for why this is being done. And right now the Ottawa Senators, they need to band together as a team. So you think DJ would be like, "Okay, 
We're getting Norris back. We're getting Joseph back. This is a really cool moment between him and his brother, his family. This is going to be something that boosts the team, right? Maybe he gets some money on the board. Joseph's like, oh, man, I want to beat my my brother in this game. I got friends and family. I'm ramping it up. I'm going to score a goal. I'm going 110% out there. And the team rally behind, rallies behind that, like, God knows there's not a lot of meaning, meaningless uh, or lots of meaning in these games for the Senators. They're pretty much out of it already. So why not use whatever you can to try to spark the boys, to try to get them going in this terrible stretch of games here? Like, that seemed like an easy call, Ross. You're just like, okay, we got something to motivate us here. We, we can pull that in and we can use that. Nope, scratch it. Instead, now it's going to be something that maybe divides the team and... This is a locker room that cannot have that right now. So, yeah, I I really dislike this move by DJ Smith. The Ottawa Senators have one win in their last five games and in their last four have been outscored 21-7. to But no, you got to keep Dylan Gambrell, Derek Broussard, Parker Kelly, and Austin Watson in the lineup. Those bottom six wingers should be interchangeable on any team in the league let alone one that is trying to make a push here and actually give their fans some sort of positivity, some sort of hope to cling on to right now. I think this is a complete garbage move from DJ Smith. And if it's going to be a disciplinary thing, at least say it. But to not elaborate, to sound so crass and just say, he's out. He's healthy, but he's out. He missed 16 friggin' games. Just say that he needs a couple extra practices and we would have at least like, okay, fine, whatever. Wait another day. Garbage move, garbage move. I hope that it's going over better in the dressing room than it is online, but I would doubt it because if I was a teammate of his, I would be pissed on his behalf. Right? We are not We are not even one year since Pierre Dorian said he is scratching the surface on the type of player that he's going to be. We are less than six months from him giving him a four-year contract. I wonder what the conversation was like between Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith about this decision because Matthew Joseph, member. Nick Paul wasn't going to get traded to Tampa until Matthew Joseph entered the equation. Don't look now. Nick Paul has more goals this year than, than Joseph has points. And that's a whole other discussion, but it also is a bit more of a bit more of a put down when you look at what the grass, how much greener it is on the other side. And that's not to open the whole can of worms of how so many players seem to catch their stride after leaving Ottawa but I am extremely disappointed with this decision. I read Taylor Haas's article with the Pittsburgh Tribune. The family was super excited. The parents could not believe they had the opportunity. If anything, Pierre-Olivier Joseph should be the healthy scratch. Hmm. He's the number six defenseman on an entry-level deal, not on a four-year deal making $3 million. So I digress, but I think it's a complete bonehead decision. And if that bottom six doesn't play well tonight, Pilsy, we are going to be all over DJ Smith for this decision. It's a home game. It's like your last must win back to back. Like I'm not even saying that like all excited. It's just like you are playing against a team who's in that last wild card spot, them and the Islanders right there. And the Islanders are next week. You, if you don't go three and zero against them, then like, then I'm putting up the, the tank for Connor sign. And, and this is this is the last stand. I'm sure in the dressing room, at least they feel that. I, I can't even convince myself that. But I'm I don't, sure. yeah, yeah, I'm not convinced, Ross. Yeah, but I'm not. In there. the dressing room, you can say that. You're like, this is the team. This is the team. Well, you're not giving your team the best chance. So I w- I've been kind of on the fence. Like, 
with DJ Smith because we like him as a guy, and it's clear that the players yeah. as a whole like him. But DJ Smith, the coach, I've officially lost all confidence. This team will not take another step forward with him as head coach of the Ottawa Senators. It's it's time for a change. There's no defensive structure, and now I'm now I'm questioning the only thing that I didn't question about him as a head coach, which was how he was able to communicate with players and with media to, to throw Matthew Joseph under the bus. And yes, he's underperformed, but so have so many others in that bottom six. He's the only guy who's ever had to actually take responsibility and be taken out of the lineup was, as a healthy scratch earlier this year. And then now as a returnee from injury, no, not quite. Now you're health bombed. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's the straw that breaks the camel's back on uh, on Ross and DJ Smith, I guess. Yeah, anyways, we'll have more on the postcast tonight. We also have a game day preview coming up, Locked On Lookout Player. But what do you say we get to our interview with Scott Wheeler? Yes, after a quick word from one of our sponsors, it's Bet Online. Guys, this is going to be an interesting game to check the odds on Bet Online. You get Norris coming back up against the Pittsburgh Penguins at home. No Matthew Joseph, though, so we'll see how that goes. But the good thing is you can find all the latest odds, news, scores, podcasts, updates, whatever you need to make an informed sports gambling decision. You can find that at Bet Online. They are the trusted online sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. And for a good reason, they got all the best odds on hockey, football, basketball, boxing, golf, UFC, whatever you like, they got it. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Guys, it's betonline.net, where the game starts. All right. Now, let's get to today's interview with the Athletics' Scott Wheeler. All right. We now welcome on a very good friend of the show, a man bold enough to rank every single prospect with every single team. Scott Wheeler from the Athletic joins us once again. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. I'm doing well. Just got back from Plymouth yesterday, and uh, I was saying before we started recording here, but this is a crazy time of the year. The, the World Juniors right into the BioSteel All-American game, right into next week, getting out to Langley for the CHL Top Prospects game. So this is uh, this is the mid-season for me. This is this is the the go time. And uh, with all this covering the the prospects, what's been kind of the your main takeaway? We haven't got to talk to you since the World Juniors. What was your main takeaway from that World Junior tournament? Honestly, just how good. The, I mean, the town Halifax loved it. Like I, I've, I was only my second time there as an adult, and just fell in love with the place, the people, the the restaurants, the food, the everything about about Halifax was incredible. Uh, especially after doing three tournaments in Edmonton, if I'm being honest. Uh, but the, no, the, the best part about the tur- this year's tournament was just the hockey. The hockey was as competitive as really maybe it's ever been. I think this is my eighth or ninth World Juniors. And uh, th- that was the best, the best, most competitive tournament that way that I've ever covered. The, the bottom tier teams were good. There were upsets. There were, I don't know, half a dozen overtime games. Um, Slovakia nearly knocked out Canada in the quarters. Slovakia and Switzerland won on the other side. Uh, it was just really, really good. Really outside of Austria, who who obviously got run over. It was it was an excellent tournament from from start to finish, and finished with another great gold medal game. And 
uh, a golden goal and all of that. So really everything you could ask for, plus the Bedard storyline, which was obviously pretty special. So, uh, and the building was incredible that how loud it was, especially after doing those three tournaments in Edmonton, where it never really felt for any of the three of them, like the world juniors, this was, uh, this this was the real deal. It was kind of exactly what you hoped the tournament would be, like back to its roots type thing. Eh? It's it's awesome yeah. to see it in that Halifax and environment. I, no, no spoilers, hope, by the way, Scott. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I hope they stick with it. I I know Brandon and Winnipeg want it. I know Quebec City and Trois-Rivières want it. Trois-Rivières has that new ECHL arena uh, that they've built that's supposed to be a really nice facility and would be kind of a perfect second setting. Um, Kitchener and London bid on it this time around. I don't know whether they'll be in on it next time around, but I would love to see it stay in those kinds of markets. Obviously, Quebec City has a huge building, so that feels more like an NHL market because you can get 18,000 people in there. But we do not need to go anytime soon back to Toronto, Ottawa, Calgary. I mean, Ottawa, I know Ottawa does want it. Uh, Ottawa and Gatineau would, would love to host it now that the Slush Puppy Center has been built. Uh, but I do. It does feel like it. They they need to stick with sort of the junior hockey markets, and at least in Winnipeg's case, it's a it's a smaller building, so I think you could really fill it. So they just they they have. I think they've discovered they have a tough time with the the seventeen eighteen thousand seat seat arenas. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'll tell Winnipeg to build the, the ice and arenas. So they're not playing at the college <laughs> arena, and then we can talk there. But uh, I know yeah. that you're always in your. You're, you have your, just like we have kind of interview season, in season, all that. You right now, I'm sure, are focused on your prospect pools. No spoilers, but Connor Bedard first overall next time your draft rankings come out. <laughs> yeah, that's a foregone conclusion. It was funny just just speaking to scouts at, at in Halifax. I sort of, I try to go down once a day to just to mingle and that kind of a thing. And the, 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 sort of topic starter the conversation starter for every conversation was well i don't think adam fantelli is catching connor bedard anymore so uh as great as adam is and i actually thought adam uh, different different completely different conversation but i thought adam played really well in his role once he slid down the lineup and has had a historic season himself in college hockey and is is a legit sort of star prospect so that's not to discount adam but connor's just operating on a different plane uh, than everybody else, just offensively. I thought his playmaking in the tournament, how competitive he was in the tournament, he impressed a lot of scouts uh, with the the layers to his game. So uh, I'm, I can't wait. Really, the only question that anyone has about Connor is, is he going to be a superstar on the wing or at center? Like the, the there's no, there's no, I, I don't think teams are worried whatsoever about his game or his, how it projects or whether he's going to make an impact next year. I, I think that's all that ship has sailed. That's going to happen. Now it's just about, is he a winger or is he a center? Long-term, where do you see him? I, I like him at center, honestly. He's he's the faceoffs is an issue. Like if if you're a forty five percent, forty six percent guy in the WHL, that's going to be a big problem for you in the NHL. Even the guys who are sixty percent at that level are typically sort of fifty percent once they make the jump. So he's he's not good in the faceoff circle. But I love the competitiveness. You want him to have the puck more. You want him to feel like he's involved in the game more. And there's just more of that at center. So I'll, I'll be fascinated. I think whichever team gets him, whether it's Columbus, Anaheim, whoever, it doesn't matter. I think they'll they'll try him at center and on the wing, uh, and you just take it from there, a lot like Ottawa did with with Tim. Yeah, 100%. Well, Tim Stutzler graduated two years ago, or sorry, graduated last year, was on this list two years ago. The Senators 
over time have slid, but they've also added mm-hmm. talent to their NHL roster as you had them in 2021 ranked third and then down to 17 last year. They come in on your annual countdown at number 24. Now, before we get into a couple risers, fallers, some of your favorites, some guys who maybe fell off in your mind over the past year, just give a, give the listeners a quick rundown of what your most important tools are when you look at ranking these players. Oh, very good question. I think increase, well, there's, there's two sets, right? The goalies are tricky. Goalies, I typically rely on others. Uh, I trust in the data, that kind of a thing. I, I watch goalies. I study goalies, their movement, their athleticism, the way that they go post to post, their control, all of that. Uh, but goalies is, is not a forte for me, so I typically just rely on the expertise for others, and you'll see me quote people much more often in my goalie reports than in my forward or defenseman. But for forwards... Uh, the, the things that matter most to me are one, just the way today, the way that they process the game. I think the guys that struggle in the NHL are often guys who have tons of skill in isolation, right? We've seen the, the Zach Sinitians, the Owen, Owen Tippett's finally figured it out, but the guys who could really shoot it or really skate it, the, the McLeod brothers, for example, Kasperi Kapanen, often it takes those guys who are, you, you watch them play and you think, oh, that's going, that has to translate because they do that one thing really well increasingly those guys struggle in the NHL because they don't actually process the game that well. And they've relied on those tools at lower levels to carry them forward. So the big thing for me is just processing the way that they read the game, read coverage. Can they play through layers? Can they problem solve or are they constantly putting themselves into difficult situations, skating into trouble, that kind of a thing. So I think increasingly the game is less about speed now than maybe it has ever been. Uh, that which runs contrary to the way that we thought it was going to be coming out of that 2012 lockout, right? Everybody thought it was going to be a track meet and it was going to be sprinting back and forth. And that is not at all really what the game is now. The game has become about possession. You're seeing more and more teams reset and play slowly through the neutral zone. And then inside the offensive zone, it, it really slows down and it becomes about that sort of tactician, right? So with forwards, that's that's a big deal for me, just the way that they, they can figure things out out there. Can they in a situation find their way out of trouble uh and then for defensemen it's it's changed over the years increasingly i think nhl clubs care a lot about length in their defensemen uh i think the game's gotten a lot smaller at forward and a lot more talented at forward and it almost feels like it's going back the other way just because of tampa and st louis teams uh, teams really watched what Tampa and St. Louis did with those blue lines where everybody was six foot three and could skate. So I think teams are increasingly looking for that. There is, uh, and I am as well, uh, but there is, I think there are, there's room for error in that as well. Uh, that's how Olin Zellweger and Lane Hudson and some of these guys sort of sneak through the cracks. So I'm also cognizant of that. I, I've, I, I love players who can sort of manage the game and steer play out on the ice and Zellweger and Hudson certainly steer play. So um, the, with defensemen, certainly length and skating is, is huge in, in defending nowadays, uh, but they still need some of those problem solving skills as well. They not quite as much as forwards do, but they need to be able to take and, and sort of respond to pressure. And, and there are a lot of defensemen, especially some of those bigger guys, frankly, who can't do that. So, uh, it's a little bit more of a combination for defensemen. Yeah, as Senators fans, we certainly know the draft pattern of drafting big, uh, tall <laughs> defensemen on the back end. But kind of on the flip side of what we were just talking about there, Scott, what's something that maybe the casual fan will overvalue in prospects that 
maybe you look at it and you're like, yeah, this on the surface, it looks great, but it may not translate to the NHL level uh, from a guy that's 18 years old to transitioning throughout his NHL career. I think the biggest thing that fans and evaluators overvalue in today's game amongst forwards is their shot, their ability to finish. Uh, kids that really score at lower levels don't always translate. If you look back through the data at the top goal scorers, not point producers, but goal scorers at the various levels, it can actually become quite difficult because a lot of those guys, that, and Ty- Tyra Boucher is a great example of this at lower levels where he can just rip it, right? I talked about Owen Tippett earlier. Owen Tippett, it took him a long time to figure out the rest of the game, but the reason he was drafted as high as he was, a lot like Boucher, was because he was a big, strong kid and he could stand in the slot in junior and whenever he got a pass in the slot, he was ripping it into the net and I think what those guys find and when they're drafted that high because of that tool what those guys find in particular is just it's difficult to get back into those places if you don't have the problem solving if you don't have the skating kind of like Philip Zadina eh? he's kind of one of those guys that would fit that time yeah big time uh so so that that I think everybody's charmed right by the guy the guy who scores 35 goals in the OHL or 40 goals in the OHL in his draft year and even Kiefer Bellows, if you guys recall, with the National Development Program, who then went on and played for the Portland Winterhawks and left college and did the uh, – Chaz Lucius is another kid, goal scorer at, the, at the, the lower levels, right, who's now back in Portland and sort of figuring things out. So I think that – though it's, it's really easy to watch a game and watch a kid at the junior level who scores every night, like a Lucius or a, or a Tippett or a Zadina, and, and sort of fall in love with that and – oftentimes you're missing the the bigger picture. So I think I think really just the premium that's placed on shooting, I think gets people in trouble. I like that. Great little primer here. And now, so the Senators from last year's list have graduated a pair of pretty key players, number one and two from your list last year. Jake Sanderson already crushing 21 minutes a night at the NHL level. Hey, are you surprised that through 45 NHL games, he has two penalties and one of them was a phantom high stick that he didn't even touch the guy's face? That is a little bit surprising. Obviously, D take penalties, just even the good ones, at a pretty high high rate. And he plays not an overwhelmingly physical game, but he's a very, very engaged player physically. Um, he, he's not shy. He's never been shy. He's always played sort of a sturdy step-up game. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that, that's a credit to him in the way that he defends with his stick and his positioning and his reads. Guys get in a lot of trouble on, on, def, on defense in particular with those little hooks and holds when they get flat-footed. So that's just a credit to him. It means he's not getting flat-footed. He's not chasing it a ton out there. Uh, and I, I've been really impressed by Jake. I'm not sure whether he'll end up in the Calder conversation uh, just because the counting stats may not may quite not be there. And I think it's Matty Beneers' is to lose at this point. But he should be in that conversation. Like he's been one of the four or five more impressive, impressive defense defensemen forwards, whatever. Uh, there are also two, two excellent goalies uh, in the, in the rookie crop this year as well. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting, but he, he should, he should be in the mix down the stretch here. If he continues to play like he has. The only other question I have, the other graduate, Eric Brandstrom, did you expect him to develop into a defensive defenseman? This guy's on the penalty kill and not putting up any points. It's, it's such a weird contrast to what fans expected when he was the key part of the stone trade. Yeah, it is a weird – he's he's one of the weirder development paths. He's a kid who 
just at lower levels again, one of those kids who just managed the line so well and would walk off the line and had would score those bad angle goals where he's that, that sort of not, not to compare him to Connor Bedard, but he would often score those goals where it's up under the bar from a from a weird angle after he's walked off the boards and that kind of a thing. And the power play quarterback, right? That he was supposed to be the offensive guy. So it's been nice to see him sort of find a little bit of a niche here. And it took him a long time, I think, to earn it from DJ and and sort of figure it out and become a guy. Uh, I, I I worry now that he's just that, right? You 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 do worry now that maybe he's just a six, seven, right? Like maybe he's not going to be a huge sort of 19 minutes a night guy. And part of that, it, it, the worry of that for a long time was, okay, can he play 15 minutes at even strength and then play on the power play? And now he's not even on the, on the sort of top PP or anything. So uh, it's, it's a, it's an interesting situation. And with Jake and Thomas, they've got guys who can really eat minutes in those two, but it does I mean, you guys know this better than anyone, but it does feel like they need a third guy that can do that. And it doesn't look like Brandstrom's going to be that long term. So uh, maybe he just settles in as as a sort of smaller piece of the puzzle than maybe you hope for when you're going out and acquiring him in a trade like that. Yeah, it's definitely fair. It's been uh, interesting following Brandstrom's path here. But those are some of the guys that have graduated. Let's get to your current list. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone go check out Scott Wheeler's uh, prospect pool rankings. The 2023 list is out. We'll put the link in the bio. So go down and listen if you're watching on YouTube. Absolutely. Yep. And the Ottawa Senators finished 24th in your rankings. Scott, who was the one guy when you're uh, doing the Sens ranking that maybe you had to revisit and you're like, is this where I want to put this guy? Is this where he belongs? Like, did you have a hard time kind of ranking them or uh, did it all kind of flow smoothly for you? I think there are two guys. One is probably still Tyler Clevin. I still struggle with just figuring out what Tyler is going to be at the next level. I think he's the guy, the kind of guy who's going to get signed, going to get an opportunity. All of that's going to happen for him. And then it's just, can he, is he good enough? Is he talented enough? Can he handle NHL pace? All of that. And with, with Tyler, he's such a physical presence. He's a force out there when he's on his game. When his timing's on, he can step up and clear out the neutral zone and all of that. He's strong in front of the net. He can penalty kill. He's got a booming shot. Like, it just flies off of his stick. Um, but it just there, – there are still moments in games where he's slow on his pivots or – He's, he's caught puck watching or there's a guy who sneaks in behind him and that kind of a thing. And that has happened pretty consistently for him at the college level. And yet the tools are so obvious and so clear. And he just feels like he's going to be a third pairing sort of hard nosed guy, right? Like that just, he, that's what he looks like out there. So he's tricky because if he becomes that, he probably belongs a little bit higher on my list than I've had him. Uh, and yet I still find those warts in his game that I, I sort of struggled to wrap my head around. So uh, his skating has, has actually improved and deserve, he deserves a lot of credit for that. His skating has come a long way since his draft year, for example. Um, it's really just the pivots that I, I think he can sort of get caught flat footed on. You guys saw sort of FNF and FNF's the, the most famous example of that, right? That, that sort of stilted turn back uh, that it, even if you're a decent skater, it can get you. So uh, I think there's a little bit of that in Clevin's game that that he needs to figure out, but I don't know. He he's he was probably the toughest one, and then the one who I've sort of gone out and tried to learn the most about this year uh, is Oscar Pedersen, who I know you guys love. So uh, Oscar's a kid I I I quoted 
uh, both the GM and the, and the head coach, Chris and Cam Abbott in the piece from Rogla. And he's a kid who stepped into that. They sort of told me bluntly that he was a kid who actually stepped into that group and completely changed the culture of an SHL team as a teenager, just with his competitiveness, his compete level, how hardworking he was. It was almost like a wake up call to the veteran guys, which you would not expect. Right. They, they were like, Holy shit, we need to, we need to get on this level kind of thing. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's what the Sens have gone after, right? That's what a lot of their, their forwards in particular have looked like over the years. You go through the list, even Josh Norris, like Angus Crookshank, all these guys, they're just, they're workers, right? And regardless of their size, the big guys and the little guys, it's part of the reason they like Boucher and, uh, and Oscars just fits that mold. And then as I've watched him more and more since, since the draft, He's also, he's got some skill. I, I don't know if you guys saw that little backhand forehand bar down at the World Juniors, but he's made plays like that a few times uh, in, in sort of when I've watched him on tape this year. So uh, just a strong, stocky kid. You can see it when I, I spoke with him as well at, at the World Juniors, and you can just see it in, in sort of the way that he's built. Uh, so I'm intrigued by him. I think he could be a good bottom six bottom six guy for them long-term if he keeps on this trajectory. So trying to slot those guys, it's always difficult to slot the guys who sort of have that lower ceiling, but might well become NHL players. And it feels like Clevin and, and Pedersen kind of fit that mold where it's like, these guys might end up better than some of the more skilled players in, in the pool, right? Like I'm not sure that Robbie Giarventi is, is a better prospect than Oscar Pedersen, even if Robbie has shown more skill at lower levels. Right. So uh, that's that's always tricky for me. I like that uh, you brought up Roby because he he's a, such an enigma to me. When he's on, man, he's got that one timer and he can score yeah. goals from seemingly anywhere, and he's big too, um, for, but can still grow into his height. But uh, I'm glad that you brought up Oscar. His GM told you the exact same thing that that Oscar told us, where he models his game after Patrick Hornfist, and I love that mm-hmm. comparable. Where not maybe not the fastest guy on the ice, but certainly responsible and. Hornfist scored 30 goals a couple times, if I'm not mistaken, too. So that would obviously be at the high end, but I'm sure junior hockey league goalies in Sweden are happy they don't have to deal with this shot anymore. 15 goals in 19 games this year for Pedersen before being recalled to Rogla's SHL team. Last one for me, Scott. I got to ask you about the number one guy on this list. It's Ridley Gregg. No surprise after the graduates of the other 2020 first-round picks. He's the remaining piece, 28th overall, and are you surprised that he was able to step into the AHL the way he did? We've talked in the past about how he's had trouble putting on weight before and, and maybe mm-hmm. that transition would have been a little tougher. But after a slow start, I think he was pointless in his first three games. Now he's up at a point per game and centering the top line. Yeah, I've been really impressed by him. I wouldn't say necessarily surprised anymore. I think if you'd asked me that question a year ago or a year and a half ago, I probably would have said yes. Um but he's just come along so nicely and, and despite injury troubles just keeps bouncing back from layoffs due to health or whatnot and, and comes back and just looks like the same player. He hasn't had any really bumps in the road since. And another guy who fits that, that sends mold, right? Like he is the definition of a, of a heart and soul guy. Fans are going to love him. Like he's just always in the mix. He's scrappy. He fights for his ice. He plays bigger than he is. He finishes all of his checks. He he's fearless blocking shots and driving the net and sort of dirty areas and all of that. So I think what's come along with him really nicely is just the skill level in, in his draft year. And I wrote this at the time, but in his draft year, 
he he the skill was there like he he had talent he could make plays but it often felt like he was trying to sort of hero mode it like he was he would go one on two and they would he'd, he'd beat one guy and the second guy would prevent him from a chance and uh it just felt like he he didn't know what he was going to be offensively or whether he was a skill guy or a give and go guy and i think now increasingly he's just he's just learned to play a lot quicker like it's it's constant give and goes and moving and then and then his skill still gets to showcase itself in those smaller areas when he has an opportunity to make a play, but it just doesn't feel like he's forcing it or chasing it. And that often happens with those, those high energy guys, right? They're high energy off the puck. And then also on the puck, they're just like, I gotta, I gotta make something happen here. I gotta go and do something. And I think he's almost settled his game down a little bit offensively. And that has, has been great for him. So he's the one guy, I mean, he was the clear number one for me. Like there was that, 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 that one didn't require much thought. I think he's also the really the only guy in the pool who might project into a, a sort of potential sort of second line role, that kind of a thing. I think they've got a, several guys at this point who are going to be more sort of utility role players. And he may still become that as well. But I do think he's the classic guy who could move up and down the lineup. Like he could play 20 games on the first line and then play 30 games on the third line kind of thing. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, what his end game should be. And if he becomes really like a a heart and soul 50 point guy like the uh, that that's a that's a win with that pick uh and i was you guys know i i didn't love that pick relative to some of the players who were still available uh on the board at that time so uh yeah he's 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 progressed nicely they've got a good player there yeah i think ridley greg's uh, versatility is going to be a big factor why he's going to be a very useful player for the ottawa centers especially Hopefully, when the Ottawa Senators get to the playoffs, I can see him being an absolute menace in a seven-game series. So, we love him, and he was our easy number one choice for our top prospect list as well, Scott. Now, final question for me here. I I like that you do it in tiers, uh, because I think it's really hard to just kind of flat out rank everyone where most of the time you could take a bunch of guys and flip flop them one or two positions and that's fine as long as they're in the same tiers. So looking at your tiers here, the second tier for the Ottawa Senators is massive. I mean, Mm -hmm. two to nine here. Are we spin zoning this as a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a testament to the depth, certainly that it doesn't drop off earlier than that. And that, there are several guys there, uh, but I, I think the challenge you face is a lot of those guys look look the same, right? Like they look like they're going to be those role players that I talked about. We never even touched on Ostapchuk, who I slid up uh, to number two. I thought about having him three and JBD two, and I know JBD's had some nice moments and made some good progress uh, this season. But uh, Zach is Zach's another guy, right? Even at two. What is Zach at his ceiling? He's probably a third line winger and more likely a fourth line winger who just plays fast, plays hard, penalty kills. He's got a good shot. He's got length. He skates really well. That's probably Zach's biggest asset is that for six foot two, six foot three, he can really get moving north south. Uh, but again, the, the difference between him and a Tyler Boucher or, or Igor Sokolov, like they all kind of exist, I think, in the same, very different players but exist kind of in the same, the same cluster, the same group. So you hope that out of that two for nine group, that's eight guys. If you can get three or four pieces of the puzzle, even if they're depth pieces, that's kind of what you hope maybe a coin flip on all of those guys. And that's, that's kind of the expectation. I think some of those guys are going to end up just as AHL call-up guys. And you hope that, that some of them can rise to be a little bit more than that. Love that. Glad you brought up a staff Chuck as well. We're going from 16 to two. 
on yeah. your rankings there. If you want to hear more about Zach, we talked to Scott right before the World Juniors. We can point you in that direction. Scott, we appreciate you, man. Final, final question for me, just because I know you were at the BioSteel event uh, yesterday, or two days mm-hmm. ago, rather. We know that's where Jake Sanderson kind of set his stage for a second half and jumped up the rankings. Is there a guy that we should be keeping our eye on from that game as a potential riser throughout the draft process? There wasn't really this year. It was a weird one this year where there is actually a lot of talent draft eligible in the USHL this year, but it's not American talent. And I I was speaking with a few people about this yesterday, but they should really, really consider making that game a USHL event rather than a USA hockey event so that you can have Jaden Perron and you can have Michael Harabel, the the goalie who's a potential first round pick, who's Czech. Um, those guys should be in that game next year. There's a Belarusian kid named Leshuvnov who should be in that game. That would be a great showcase for him for 2024, right? So there's always three or four kids that I would have liked to have seen there that are Canadian or that have come over from Europe. Uh, so that piece of it was disappointing because it's a very good year at the national program. And those were the guys who stood out yesterday. And it's a pretty weak year for American talent out of the USHL, even though the USHL has plenty of other talent. So uh, I was hoping to see Andrew Strathman and William Whitelaw. There are the, they both play for Youngstown, and they're probably the two best prospects in that game who don't play at the NTDP. And neither of them were, were really standouts. So the, it was the same characters that we've been hearing about all year. It was Oliver Moore and Will Smith and Ryan Leonard and Gabe Perot. Like the, the big four were really still the big four. So it actually wasn't for my purposes this year, wasn't a, a particularly enlightening game because those four guys have just been so dominant all year and we really didn't learn anything about about the rest of that group yesterday so nobody really grabbed it well maybe you'll find something out at the chl event which is coming talk about a good group very different story than the than the ushl game this year or or the all-american game i should say it's uh this 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 group is a ton of fun and i think those whl guys in particular are really competitive and i think Riley Height and Andrew Cristal and, and some of those WHL guys would really like to make a statement so that it's not just the Bedard show. And uh, I'm sure it will be the Bedard show. I'm sure he's going to score a couple in the game and we'll all be talking about him. But uh, it's a it's a very, very good after a few few rough years for that game uh, in terms of lean CHL talent. This is a, a, a special group. So there's going to be there's going to be a lot of skill on display. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, Scott, we're looking forward to following along your notebook or whatever comes out from that on The Athletic. And everyone, go check out the entire list for not only the Ottawa Senators, but it's a great kind of tool, whether you're using for fantasy drafts, for long-term outlooks, or anything else. The write-ups are great, and the quotes even better. Scott, appreciate you joining us, man. We'll do this again down the road. Thanks, guys. Stick to after Scott for joining us. Appreciate it and appreciate Sense fans for giving him a little less of a hard time for this list. He works hard with what he does and whether you agree or disagree with where he ranks players, the write-ups are very in-depth. So I'd recommend everyone to go check that out. Like I mentioned in the interview, we'll put the link to the article in the description of both the audio and the YouTube version. Pilsy, it's a game day for the Ottawa Senators. The Sens limp into this one, but so do their opponents. Let's start by taking a look at how the Pittsburgh Penguins are expected to line up. The top line is Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, and Brian Rust, followed by Evgeny Malkin with Jason Zucker and Ricard Raquel. The bottom six, Teddy Bluger with Matt O'Connor. I, Matt O'Connor. I just dropped a set. Old uh, set. <laughs> Logan. Logan O'Connor. 
Stanley Cup champion with Colorado. And then Jeff Carter, a two-time Stanley Cup champion at right wing. On the fourth line, making sense of the Sens guest, Jonathan Gruden. Sens fourth-round pick made his NHL debut last game. He's centering the fourth line between McGinn and Kasperi Kapanen. On defense, no Brian, or sorry, Brian Dumoulin with Ty Smith, Marcus Pedersen with Friedman, and Pierre-Olivier Joseph with Carter Ruiz. We are unsure whether it's going to be Casey DeSmith or Dustin Tokarski, but Tristan Jari is out with injury. And we also want to send well wishes to Chris Letang. He's had a really tough time right now, whether it was going through a stroke and then losing his father. Um, we, we're just thinking about him. That's, that's a really tough stretch for him. Um, so we hope that he can get back healthy and happy sooner rather than later. Pilsy, your lookout player for tonight's game against the 22-15-6 Pittsburgh Penguins, who are 3-6-1 in their last 10. My lookout player for the Pittsburgh Penguins is going to be, you know what, I'll go with Jonathan Gruden here. This is a guy I know is a fourth-line center, so this lookout player isn't like, uh, watch out, this guy is going to absolutely light up the sense. But Jonathan Gruden was a guy that, he never really popped off for the Sens as a prospect here, but there was some potential. He was the prospect that went along to Pittsburgh with the draft pick in the Matt Murray trade. And I think people kind of overlooked it, but he's someone that I think in a, a couple game scenario in a bottom six role like he is here, I think he can be successful. So we're talking about a bottom six for the Ottawa Senators that has struggled. I want to see how he does up against the Sens bottom six here. So you know what? I'm going to be looking out for former Senator prospect Jonathan Gruden. We'll see how much ice time he gets. Uh, he had the no bucket warm up was looking absolutely solid there because, you know, <laughs> they put in that. They put in that rule, you got to wear your helmet and warm-ups. They still do that lap where they take it out. But yeah. he just kept it off all warm-up. He's like, I got the flow. I'm ready to go. And if no, one, if no one tells him to put it back on, why not see if you can get away with it? He played seven minutes in his NHL debut against Anaheim. Went one for five in the face-off dot as well. So hopefully the Sens can take advantage of a young, inexperienced centerman who will be snapping back draws. My lookout player, Pilsy, this might shock you. Number 87, Sidney Crosby. I don't know if you've ever watched him play before or heard about him, but let me tell you, he's a pretty well-rounded player. He's got a great backhand, good two-way centerman, getting up there in age, but not slowing down. 49 points in 43 games leads this team, and he's just an unbelievable player. Like, What more can I say about him other than the fact that he's dominated the Ottawa Senators in his career? Not only in the playoffs, and I'm not even going to pull up that number or anything like that, but he has 50 points in 43 career games against Ottawa over the years, averaging 21 and a half minutes, which is actually the most he averages against any team in the NHL. Hmm, interesting that that, uh, the Sens are able to uh, get the most out of him, at least in terms of watching him play on time on ice. But yeah, he still kills penalties. He plays in the power play. He does everything that you would expect one of the greatest players to go down in NHL history will ever do. The only problem with his legacy is what he did to our boy, Mark Mathot. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Jeez, that's PTSD for Mark every time that comes up. Uh, and Ross, he enters tonight's game with points in four straight games up against the Senators two goals and five assists in his last four games up against the Sens. So yeah, Sidney Crosby is a certified Sens killer. Might want to keep an eye on. Thank God though. When we did this lineup chart that I didn't have to put, uh, should I redact that name? Yeah. Just don't say it. We, okay, we don't never say mind. It. I'm glad that his winger isn't the same as it was in 2017. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, your, your key to victory. Because this Penguins team, like Hunter Hody's locked on Penguins, he's been calling it rock bottom. He's been calling yeah. it like this team stinks. I'm excited to see what he means by that because I feel like Pittsburgh's gotten the better of Ottawa overall head-to-head in the last long time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think uh, I think I have the stat here. Um, Pittsburgh enters tonight's game with points in 10 of its last 12 games versus Ottawa. They're 8-2-2. Two, and two. And going back further, the Penguins have points in 22 of their last 26. Their last 26 games against the Sens, Ross, this is their record. 18-4-4. Four, four. Yikes. So this is going to be a tough home-and-home home situation for the Ottawa Senators. But my key to victory is... Once again, Ross, the Sens are going up against a bona fide kind of playoff contending team that is down bad with injuries. No Jeff Petrie, no Crystal Tango, like we talked about, no Tristan Yari. Uh, they've got a couple other defensemen out. Like, this is a weak decor as you went through the lineup uh, here, Ross. So, my key to victory here is going to be put a lot of pressure on this decor because up front, this is a team with a lot of depth. I mean, Kasperi Kapanen, not exactly an all-star, but he ends up on their fourth line here. That's a guy that is in most teams' middle sixes uh, usually. So for them to have the depth up front, it's going to be hard to beat them with the way the Ottawa Senators are. would be really nice to get some depth on forward, especially in the wings. Not sure what the Sens can do about that. But my key is going to be get on the defense. I know maybe I won't necessarily say play a strong dump and chase game because we're going to have Ottawa Senators fans roll their eyes uh, through the back of their brains here. But what I'm saying is put a lot of pressure on the forecheck. Don't let them have time and space to move the puck because if you can pressure this decor, I think you can force them into making some mistakes and turning the puck over. And that's going to be a key way that the Ottawa Senators win here. So that is my key to victory. So you're an expert. That actually, that Andy Sutton clip actually came after a game against Pittsburgh where he absolutely destroyed Jordan Leopold in in the playoffs. Well, I was going to say, absolutely destroyed. Are you an expert? Uh, You're an expert. He would say that's a clean hit unless you're an expert. So you're an expert. Oh, my God. Um, But to your point on key to victory, we talk about Hunter Hodes and and the locked-on Penguins. He is all over Brian Dumoulin. So I'm also going to be keeping an eye on him. That's their top guy right now. And it seems like he's a guy who's pretty mistake-driven. So maybe you force him into a couple as well. To me, it has to be the power play key to victory because when the power play clicks, the Sens win games. And you're going up against a team with so much firepower that you need it to click. And obviously, I'm going to be keeping an eye on where Josh Norris fits into the power play location here. Does he go right back to his spot, one-timer side on the top unit? Do they bring him in on the second unit? I'm going to be interested to see how that whole situation plays out. But no more Jake Lucchini on the power play as he was put on waivers. We'll see if he clears. We'll find that out at 2 p.m. Eastern. But I hope he does. He still practiced with the team this morning, so I'm curious to see if he's going to be a guy who – clears waivers and stays up like i i don't know i i have no idea what's going on with the whole joseph thing and maybe this is is a piece in this complex puzzle however i do know that if the power play does well the senators typically win games so i'm going to focus on that and any even strength scoring would be greatly appreciated as well now the ottawa senators will line up oh this looks good pilsy this looks good like seeing that top six the way it is, we'll get to the bottom six. But having Josh Norris back certainly adds another element to this team. You want to run through the, the middle of the ice and, and the lines? 
Yes. So our top line is Brady Kachuk with Tim Sutzla and Drake Batherson. Alex Debrinkat with Josh Norris back. That is great to see. And Claude Giroux. Then I'll have a lower tone for the bottom six. Derek Broussard, Shane Pinto, Dylan Gambrell, Parker Kelly, Mark Kaslick, Austin Watson. And on defense, we got Thomas Shabbat with JBD, Jake Sanderson with Hamannick, Eric Branstrom, and Holden. And in goal, I don't know if it's confirmed, but we kind of expect Talbot will start this one. So, my locked-on player. I'm taking it first, Pilsy, because I don't Ah. want you to take my guy. Who hates the Pittsburgh Penguins more than you and I? Not many people but one of them is in the lineup for the Ottawa Senators. It's longtime Flyers captain. It's Claude oh, Giroux. Okay. Remember those battles he had with Sidney Crosby back in the day? Yeah. If Do, do you have his career numbers uh, up against Pittsburgh? Because if you don't, I have him. Because that was going to be my backup choice. I thought for sure you were going with number nine. Nope. I'm going with the guy okay. who has 64 points in 61 games yeah. against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's played 61 games against them, right? So he's got a good sample size, but he also is just a complete gamer. And you know that over those years, Sidney Crosby was always mm-hmm. the talk of the town, always going to be on the front page. But Claude Giroux, man, quietly put up amazing point totals and it probably always felt like the little brother in the city of brotherly love. But I, I think that he's going to go, and this is his first time playing against Pittsburgh, wearing a Sens jersey. I'm excited to see what he brings into this I don't want to call it a rivalry because it's the same rivalry as a hammer and a nail in recent years, but maybe he can, maybe he can flip the hammer around and instead of them hammering it, maybe they're going to pull it out, you know, get that, get that nail free. (laughs) Is that better if you're the nail to, instead of getting hammered, being pulled out? I don't know. I mean, you don't want to be the nail in any scenario here. Freedom though. Okay. It's like being rescued from the ocean. It's like, is it okay to get on the life preserver? (laughs) Sure. All right. I'll take that spin zone. Claude Giroux, locked on player. I'm expecting two points tonight. Love it. Love it. Levy lock? Mm. Ooh. I will let you know closer to game time at Send Central. I'll let you know the odds bet online. Okay. Okay. So a mildly confident uh, expected two points from Claude Giroux here. Yes. How about this? Levy lock, Claude Giroux assists on a Josh Norris goal. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so that leads perfectly into my locked on player. It's got to be Josh Norris. I mean, this guy hasn't been in the lineup since October 22nd. Having him here just, it just makes me feel all warm inside, Ross. Like the top six, that's the bread and butter of this Ottawa Senators team, of this franchise moving forward. And now that Josh Norris is here, everything looks right. Maybe. You can tinker with where you have guys on what line, on what wing. That's all fine. But as long as my top six for my Ottawa Senators contains Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, Drake Batherson, Alex Dabrinka, Josh Norris, and Claude Giroux, I've got a great feeling about how that top six is going to perform. So I am so glad that Josh Norris is back and I will be locked on to him tonight. You got his career numbers, Pilsy, because I got him here if you need him against Pittsburgh. I actually don't, so go ahead. Help help a brother out. Two games, two goals, two one assist. That's it? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, the all-Canadian year was a big part of his time, so yeah. And then he was injured for a bunch of... Uh, Fair, oh, no, that yeah, was, wow, that was, that's uh, crazy. 
that was the, the same year, the Canadian year. But even still, um, yeah, two games against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he's got two goals. So hopefully he can continue that streak. Uh, are you feeling good about tonight's game? No. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right. I don't feel that good. If, if it was anyone but the Pittsburgh Penguins, maybe I would have a different answer. But when your coach goes into this game deciding, meh, I don't really need to give my team the best chance to succeed here. And you're coming up against a team that absolutely destroys you. Let me remind you, the Pittsburgh Penguins are 18-4-4 in their last 26 games up against the Ottawa Senators. And Ross, this has changed so quickly on me, but I have such little faith in Cam Talbot and or Anton Forsberg right now. You want Cam Talbot's career numbers against Pittsburgh? Probably not. He has one win in eight games, one, three, and four. Yeah. Now, a lot of those are decade ago, probably playing with the New York Rangers when they were in the same division, but yeah. still one win in eight games. And we saw that he has bad numbers in his career against St. Louis, and that certainly carried in to his game last night. So we'll see. 902 save percentage against Pittsburgh in eight games. Uh, in all likelihood, he starts. He did not skate today. Um, still no return imminent. Artem Zub did not skate today. Nikita Zaitsev did skate, but is not ready to return. You know he won't be a healthy scratch, though, when he's ready to return. I mean, Nikita Zaitsev was the other player that has been healthy scratched, and that was a good kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say reset. renaissance story. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Reset? reset. Yeah, sure. that was a good reset for him. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, the, the Matthew Joseph scratch, it, it like... If he's not back next game up against Pittsburgh, then there's something serious going on between him and the coach. Yes, sir. Sounds good. We will get to that later today in the postcast and let you know how this one went as well. Pills, any final thoughts on today's show? I mean, typically I, I would uh, give a go sends go here, but uh, I'll give a I'm glad Josh Norris is back. That will be my final thought. All right. Josh Norris returns to Linus. Let us know in the comments what you think about DJ Smith's decision to scratch Matthew Joseph and the way he communicated that with the media. For now, we say goodbye. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. Thank you to Scott Wheeler for joining us. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.